1: Good afternoon, my conscious co creators. Welcome to another edition of the Conscious Consultant Hour Awakening Humanity. I am very, very pleased that you are here with me today, and hi to all my friends and peeps out there on Facebook. We are live streaming today. I'm very happy. My guest, uh, it's been a little while, but my guest is actually in studio this time, so uh, we're going to have our our video going, and you won't have to just look at me the whole hour. So i hope glad you are with me. Oops, looks like the live stream. Ah, There we go. It came back um so of course uh, welcome i'm very excited about today's show i have a very dear friend and and actually you know this is a show i've been wanting to do probably since i've started my show because uh oh we already got a heart from somebody i missed who that was um this is a show i've wanted to do since i've started my show all about space exploration but i haven't you know, had an opportunity to get a real guest on to actually talk about space, which is something, the idea of space exploration, and I'm not talking like fantasy, Star Trek, Star Wars going out, I'm talking about like the reality of the stuff, so we're, we're gonna get into some, you know, not, not necessarily all reality, but we're gonna get into some really cool stuff today, so you guys are really lucky, we have a great show in store for you, but of course, we have our quotes of the day to start you off. I know you've been waiting all week long for our quotes from the universe and from Abraham. So let's see what the universe and Abraham have in store for us today. First, from you, the universe. Whether or not you can see it, there is always a way. See it done. The universe. <laughs> we love our quotes from Mike Dooley and the universe. Today, I guess just reminding us that there are always possibilities. That there's always a way. Typically, there's a way and we just don't see it. You know, even in my coaching practice, often I ask people, I say, well, you know, how many different ways have you approached this problem? And they're like, oh, dozens of ways. And I go, really? Dozens of ways? like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's tell me. What are the dozens of ways? Well, there was this way and there was that way. And uh, I think there was one more way. I said, okay, so there were like three possible ways you looked at it. And you're like, yeah, I think three ways. Okay, so not dozens, three. And I said, well are there more than three ways to approach the problem? And they're like, well, yeah. And I was like, well, what way didn't you try? And then, well, there's this. And then there's that. And then there's that. And then when we open up to the possibility that there are more ways than we've tried, then all of a sudden we begin to realize, oh, there are other ways. There are all kinds of ways. There are all kinds of things that because we tend to limit ourselves in our own thinking, that then all of a sudden we shut down our ability to really see these different ways that we could possibly approach whatever is going on. So I think what uh, the universe is trying to remind us today is that even if we haven't thought of it yet, that there is a possibility out there. There is a way out there. And sometimes it's not necessarily the, the way we would like, but there's still a way to do it. So... Very interesting quote. Nice, short, and sweet today. Let's see what uh, Abraham has in store for us today. Ah, Anthony, welcome to the live stream, Anthony. As your world or your government or individuals within your government make decisions about what is better for you, and as they try to protect you from every possible potential experience, your lives become rather cumbersome, don't they? All you ever need is a vibration of well-being, Abraham. Very interesting quote, and you know, one that um, I know relates to other things Abraham has said over the years around this whole idea of making laws and legislating things. And you know, so much we we think that, quote-unquote, bad behavior needs to be legislated out of existence. And uh, hi, Uzi from L.A., Oops, just going to like him there. There we go. Um, And so Abraham actually believes that, you know, the laws actually just kind of get in the way of things because what we really need to do is help people to come more into alignment of what authentically, truly feels good for them. And that's so much like, you know, we create these laws and we create these rules around things that we think think are here to protect us but all they're really doing is limiting us and this is not to say that like you know people don't do things that are evil or bad or wrong which i don't quite necessarily believe in those terms or those concepts but this is not to say that they're is, is not some place for regulation but it's when the regulation becomes more important or overrides really what we know inside like when we rely on the laws instead of relying on our own conscience then we're really missing the point we're missing the point of life you know life is not about living according to a million different rules and regulations I know probably some of my Orthodox Jewish peeps are going to get real upset at me because Orthodox Judaism is all about following rules. But really, it's about following the spirit behind the rules. It's about aligning our hearts and our souls with what we know is right. And, you know, sometimes that means disobeying rules, right? I mean, like just being gay was illegal. It's probably still illegal in many countries around the world. But now gay marriage is legal. You know, sometimes we know that there are rules in place, but they're outmoded and outdated and things need to change. And so sometimes, you know, when if we just follow our conscience and our spirit and our heart and what we know deep inside is what right, that frees us from the chains and the bonds of all getting every little rule and every little thing right. So it's a really interesting quote from Abraham. Um, And actually very interesting that happens to mention government because, uh, again, you know, these quotes are amazing because I really I don't cherry pick them. These are the quotes that came to me this morning in my inbox, and they always seem so apropos for what my show happens to be about or who my guest is that day. And I'm not going to dilly dally. I, I hope you liked your quotes. You'll have more quotes of the week next week. Um, But I really want to bring on my guest now because my guest today is somebody who I've known for close to 25 years. I'm going to just flip our live stream onto my friend Steve here. Steve Wolf has been a writer and an advocate for the advancement of space settlement concepts and related ideas for more than 25 years like yours truly he was a legislative aide for the late congressman george brown jr where he served as the executive director of congressional of the congressional space caucus he served on the board of directors of the national space society which is where we met Uh, he was president of the new york space frontier society where we met and was advocate of the space frontier foundation yes which uh, i know many people back in the days when rick tumlinson was still here in new york city remember Oh, yeah. Do you still speak to Rick? Uh, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. you got to send him my regards. He probably doesn't remember me, though. Uh, Steve drafted the Space Settlement Act of 1998 for Congressman Brown, which the bill was signed into law by Ronald Reagan as part of the NASA authorization bill. Steve currently serves on the board of editors of the Journal of Space Philosophy. He's also currently serving as the deputy executive director of Spacecom. And I am extremely happy uh, that our travels bring us back together again um, after so many years, Steve. It's great to see you. Welcome to the Conscious Consultant Hour. Hey, Sam. How you doing? I'm doing wonderful. <laughs> I'm doing wonderful. As you can tell, I'm excited today.
2: Yeah, yeah. no, it's great. Congratulations on your show. Uh, Thank you. And I uh, have to say that opening bit uh, has inspired me, so uh, cool, excellent. totally in, in line with what I think we're going to chat about today.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So I always like to start off kind of giving the audience a little bit of a background. I mean, I read your bio, but I want to give people just a little bit more of a background before we get into your book and and kind of some of these concepts of space exploration. So Steve, you, like me, I guess were a child of, you know, the 60s and 70s. I'm assuming things like the Apollo launches and landing on the moon, like that just enthralled you as a kid.
2: Right, uh, right. Like you know, I was born in nineteen sixty. I think you probably sixty two. You know, so it was right around that time. We're we're actually considered the the children, the children, uh, the children of, of Apollo or the right. or the space age children, because yeah. we were born right at the point that mankind first took its his steps out into space. Right, and we were born right at that moment. So there was really something. I think if you want to call it spiritual, taking place even at that moment, yeah, uh, which imbued us, I think, and and influenced our our lives. And then with the unfolding of Apollo, um, you know, I was nine in 1969, and uh, certainly that was exciting and enthralling uh, and had an influence. But it really was, for me, it was a few years later when um, I saw a cover story in the New York Times magazine. Mm -hmm. on a concept for space colonies Ah. and on the cover was this full color uh, rendition of what a space colony would look like uh, orbiting in space housing tens of thousands of people Mm. and suddenly space was completely transformed for me for me from a place where A couple of astronauts can go and plant some flags and do some exploring all of a sudden to a place where humankind could take a major step and expand out beyond this earth.
1: And, and, and it could be a place we could actually live and not just visit.
2: Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And that was the concept of Jerry O'Neill,
1: right? The high frontier.
2: The high frontier uh, that he uh, that he wrote uh, uh, the book that really and it transformed me and it transformed a lot of other people. And uh, the, for me, that was sort of the space moment uh, yeah. in, in my life that uh, that that uh, sort of set me on a path for what I've done and what's yeah. come after that. Right,
1: right. And, and you know, I, I've said to people, you know, many times before that, you know, growing up uh, as a little as a young child and like we were landing on the moon that we thought for sure by the year 2000, of course, we'd have a base on the moon. We'd be going out to Mars and, you know, further places. Yet here we are and we have a nice space station orbiting the Earth. And that's about it. Right, I mean, uh, a little disappointing, isn't it? It,
2: it? it certainly is, and you know, there's a lot of reasons over the years that people have, have have given as reasons for that. I mean, a lot of it sort of revolves around the NASA being a government bureaucracy. Right. So a lot of the, the 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 space movement activities that we've been involved in is trying to 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 to, to wedge out space from being sort of linked or shackled to the federal right, government, right. which has all sorts of priorities, has all sorts of um, other, other things that it has to do in addition to to uh, in, uh, to, to, pro- to, to doing a, a space program or a manned space program. But if we could if we could separate space from the government and right. put it into the hands of people who are excited in the private sector, right. who could freely um, develop the, the, these technologies, then that kind of a future might have been possible, where we we would see. We at, at this point we might actually have seen uh, in an alternate universe uh, cities on the moon or Mars. Right. Um, so and that of course leads us to where we are today, and uh, to to uh, uh, where we are today with we're suddenly now on 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 the cusp of a whole new emerging commercial space sector. Yes. Yes. You know with so Virgin Galactic. With Virgin and Galactic and Elon Musk, Musk and SpaceX, yeah. SpaceX. Right. Jeff Bezos you yeah. know is is on board so we see all of this excitement and who's who's leading the way it's the space it's it's the commercials it's, sector.
1: it's the entrepreneur yeah yeah okay but i do want to get into a little bit um when we come back from break about how you ended up uh, working with with congressman brown and kind of why you know as, as we said that you know it's been so government like why you kind of initially kind of went the government route and what kind of got you to switch mm-hmm. so everybody um please stay tuned you're listening to the conscious consultant hour awakening humanity and my guest guest this hour is steve wolf and we will be right back
0: you're listening to the talking alternative network
1: And welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. I guess this hour is an old dear friend of mine. We've known each other almost 25 years, Steve Wolf who uh works in the space industry and has written a book about it and who has is a real space advocate and that's how we met back in the early days when we were involved with the national space society the local chapter of the national space society
2: yeah i think actually i think it's over 25 years which over is 25 scary. years
1: yeah <laughs> i know yeah well you have two kids now who are like grown They're it's all like grown. oh my god that really like made me feel old um So, Steve, I just want to ask you, you know, as you said before break that, you know, believe that really what's going to get humanity out into space is going to be taking it sort of away from the government and putting it in in the hands of the sort of the entrepreneurs and the private citizens who have a real passion and can get the the resources together to do it. But you had started your career working in government, didn't you?
2: (laughs) That's right. That's right. Um, right so i took that uh, earlier i to- i told you i was inspired by uh, the work of jerry o'neill right and that sort of dictated you know what i wanted to do with 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 my career and and uh, led me to to washington dc uh to do space policy for uh, on on the congressional staff and uh yeah at the time i was very much a uh, person who thought that the Government should be the one who could lead our way into space. I still actually held that belief, and so
1: so were you like a political science major in college or something? I mean,
2: Um, not a. I was a communications major, so it's sort of you know, and and um, it was uh, it was not the exactly the route that I expected to go to, but I took a trip to Washington. And kind of what they, I, I caught Potomac fever, as ah, they call it. So once I was down okay. there and I realized, wait a minute, this is where I've got to be. Right. And so that was really, um, that, that's where I, I focused my efforts. And
1: and now, Congressman Brown was a congressman from California.
2: That's right. That's right. Were
1: you from California at the time?
2: No, no, no. New York. Uh, however, he was, uh, had so much tenure in, in the House that mm-hmm. um, it wasn't really, Whereas other more junior members may be careful to select their staff from their congressional districts, right. he had such tenure that he really was just focused on who who the best talent he can get, ah. you know, in Washington. So,
1: so I guess he saw like your passion. And, yeah, and he
2: shared. He very much shared my my passion. He liked to call himself a, a, a space nut. Um, <laughs> he had uh, he was chairman of the science committee and had inscribed in the. Uh, in the main hearing room the proverb where there is no vision the people People perish perish. right so that's a famous proverb and it was a favorite one of his so he very much understood that we have to be thinking uh we have to be visionaries and he was a visionary himself so when i went to him with uh a crazy bill idea for the space settlement act of 1988 he was uh Quite surprisingly, was very supportive of it, uh, mm-hmm. introduced the bill uh, uh, against the advice of his other senior uh, oh, staffers wow. who were not all that thrilled by the yeah, idea because yeah. it was uh, really way ahead of its time. Um, but actually, the, uh, the legislation actually wound up getting... Uh, uh, largely folded into uh, an authorization bill that mm-hmm. actually was signed into law by Ronald Reagan. So, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and uh, the one that, good thing he did. That was <laughs> the one good thing he did, right? Right. So, so uh, okay, so we, let, let's just get it out of the way for my listeners because, you know, I always come up against this argument all the time. And, and I have my own answer to it, but I want to hear your answer to it of, you know, so many people say, oh, how can we think about going into space and using resources for that when we have so many problems down here on Earth? Um, you kind of alluded to it a little bit, but, but what's your answer to those critics?
2: Well, you know, my I feel very uh, sympathetic to that. Uh, to those uh, concerns, uh, mm-hmm. unlike other some of my, my friends in the advocacy community, <laughs> will just sort of try to dismiss those those right. uh, reactions. I mean, we do have serious issues. We have, um, you know, we're a human family. and We need yes. to be sort of be very considerate. We need to be much more considerate of each other, Absolutely. right? So we actually, I kind of like what Bernie Sanders said. I don't mean to bring the politics oh. of the moment into it right. That's okay. but what but what bernie sanders somebody they were asking about his religion he goes you know i believe that we should be in a situation where we care as much about anybody in our, uh, uh care as much about the child who's starving on the other side of the world as we do about our own children yeah and to me that like summed up like where we should be as as, as a global culture right. so uh you know and that, and that that encompasses environmental concerns and right. uh, human rights concerns and, and civil rights all, all of that you know how we treat each other in general so you know there's um so i agree with that um however you know we we are um we are a a people, and this is sort of starts actually now getting into the, the nature of book, we are a person, we are a, a species that is just, has a ravenous appetite for the unknown, to knowing the unknown, to right. the, our, our curiosity, our desire to explore beyond where we are today, what's right. over the next hill, what's, what's across that ocean. Right. Uh, we have, we also not just go there, but we also have this, desire to sort of like okay we're here how do we turn this place into into a settlement you know how do we create Mm. a a community here you know with each place that we which each new once we find a place that's favorable to us how do we or or sometimes not that favorable to us we have how do we turn this into a place that we can live and we can raise our children and we can flourish and we can develop our culture here so right. these are things that are innate and and you know couple that with our with our ability to look up and wonder at the sky and wonder at the possibilities of what is out there um, there is just a a drive that is uh, not prominent in everyone but it's 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 prominent in a fairly substantial portion of our population that feels the pull of space and then and then once we realize well wait a minute the moon and mars those are places we can go and we realize that we you know we have the means of going there and the the the, it's a draw unlike any
1: other absolutely it's a great motivating factor right they say if Uh, you want to motivate a kid to do anything there are two things that will always motivate kids dinosaurs and spaceships (laughs) you know it's like innate and and uh, you know my answer is always also to point out to people that yes we need to feed the hungry children but we also need to give them a vision for the future to make them to want to live and that also, there is so many benefits that come from an active space program because you're doing basic science, basic research that help improve our day to day lives. And you know, I used to know it's been a while, but there used to be so many technologies that came out of NASA that were commercialized, especially in the medical industry. You know, the insulin pump and prosthetic devices, and 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 just all of these sort of at the time cutting edge technologies that made its way. Into our daily lives that helped our lives today, you know, because you're doing such basic right. research.
2: And actually, that actually gets to what I'm doing right now with with Spacecom, which is the, uh, the the Space Commerce Conference and Exposition, which is an event that takes place in Houston, Texas, November mm-hmm. 15th through the 17th. Okay. Um, and I just quick disclaimer: any of my the views that I'm expressing here are are not the views of of Spacecom. But um, but in but what you're you're mentioning these these NASA spinoffs, how technology is being applied to every everyday life down here is very relevant. It was relevant when you right. recall, but it's still very relevant today. Yeah, absolutely. NASA is very active in in transferring this this, this technology, uh, which is uh, which is finding its way throughout our culture. So that's uh, that's definitely an uh, an important exciting aspect of that.
1: Okay, mm-hmm. great. So um, let me just switch this back on to me. Just a, a big shout out to all my Facebook peeps that are tuning in. So one of the reasons that I wanted to bring Steve on is Steve actually wrote a book called The Obligation. And, you know, in the near years that, that we worked together, and we actually used to work together at a nonprofit um, where I was doing computer work and you were membership Uh, chair i forget that's right yeah um so i never really knew of you as a a writer per se but this book is not even just a a book like um you know a philosophical book or a nonfiction. but this is a fiction book that you wrote uh, uh ostensibly based a little bit on your experience with congressman brown which is why i wanted to talk to you about him how did the idea or the seed to to write a novel like this come to you
2: Right. So the um, well the seed of the book is uh, it goes back to um and this this gets to um uh, spiritual experience our, our, our mutual interest in mm-hmm. spirituality. I had been on a a retreat uh, with uh with a spiritual leader Andrew Cohen. Some of mm-hmm. your listeners might be familiar with him um and it someone was, bring up his name to me recently after we spoke and i was like
1: oh yeah i know someone's just talking yeah, about him."
2: <laughs> yeah well it was a very powerful experience that i had and it was um, uh, and uh really a moment of awakening for me and it was mm-hmm. in that that evening one evening uh, when i was lying there where i was asking myself the question once again you know why is it? That, why am I so interested in space settlement? Why do I care so much about mm. that? What is it? You know about and and so many other people too. Yeah. And it really just uh uh the germ of it was as it occurred to me in that moment. Um, I, I kind of had this 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 vision of the human human evolution over the next over the last fifty thousand years of how our technology has uh evolved very mm-hmm. you know sort of like went through in, in in just a flash and it really occurred to me that it, it occurred to me that um uh in in that moment that that humankind has always been on a path leading towards expansion into space mm-hmm. so we'd always been on that path and that was what we actually are were meant to do. If we were meant to do other things as as well, that that's fine. But one thing we were cer- clearly meant to do was to develop the technologies and learn how to manage the resources of the planet, such that they can be fashioned into ships that could carry the seeds of life off to other planetary shores. And that was really the that was the that was the germ of it. And then over the over the next few years, I really developed I, I developed those ideas and. And, and expanded on it through contemplation and so forth. And when I had a bit of a thesis together, I said, well, okay, how can I convey this information? I, and um, I realized that it might be more interesting to convey this information in the form of fiction. Ah, so along the okay. lines of, um, I, I would have been, had been a big fan of Carlos Castaneda ah, and the yeah. Celestine Prophecy. Yes, uh, Someone compared the book to the... Um, a Plato's Republic, you know, where you, where you are using a fictional, you know, uh, uh, me- mechanism to right. convey uh, some information, and and uh, so that's that's sort of what I did. So that's uh, just quickly
1: before we went to break. So, over how many years from the time you had the the inspiration to when you finally published it, how many years was that? Uh,
2: let me see the the first inspiration was 2002 2002, I, and 2002 so when i i decided okay i'm gonna i had an i probably 2005 i started to sort of write it in in, in earnest and okay. then and, and then about 2013 18. i was finally wow. got, got wow. it out there yeah
1: so like uh, that's like between like eight and eleven years yeah wow mm-hmm. so that that's not 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 an overnight <laughs> thing it it definitely was something you sat with and germinated mm-hmm. and developed over time
2: yeah yeah and it was uh, right so it was, yeah it was a process wonderful mm-hmm. wonderful
1: okay we're going to take another quick break and when we come back let's like dive into what the story behind the book is and uh, any other things that may come up along our way so everybody please stay tuned you're listening to the conscious consultant hour awakening humanity and we'll be right back <laughs>
0: You are listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Hi, this is Rob Kay. And I'm Callie Alpert. Are you looking for a show where people talk about real stuff like life, love, the pursuit of being yourself? Well, then you have come to the right place because the Rob and Callie show is doing just that. For the last 10 years, Rob and I have been having our own version of Sunday morning therapy sessions on the phone. And now we're bringing it to the radio. So tune in and call in live Wednesdays, 8 to 830 on talkradio.myc. And that's Eastern Standard Time. So join us.
1: Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. I am very happy that we're here in studio with my dear friend Steve Wolf, talking all about um, his uh, relatively recent novel, oops, and uh, called The Obligation. Um, uh, so, Steve, so so what's the basic? St- so uh, we talked before about how you know this idea that that sort of space is is our, our sort of our natural destiny um one way or another just being explorers and you know basically we've we've colonized the entire world just about um and so what's left is the closest piece of land to our world which is the moon and then mars and mm-hmm. and onwards so, so what would, what's the actual story behind your novel of the obligation
2: right so we we actually we spoke a little bit of my, about my history on on the Hill, so you right. set that up, and then um, and then the sort of flash of insight that I had uh, uh, for a decade ago, uh, and uh, you know, there's this maxim, you know, you write what you know. I decided that yes. I wanted to do this in fictional form. Right. Um, I I know about working on Capitol Hill, so right. and being a staffer. So my main character is uh, is a Hill staffer, and he works for a congressman and uh and in and, and like the um like the carlos castaneda books uh the mm-hmm. way uh uh or, or the way of the peacefully warrior that's another one where's where uh there's a mentor and mentee mm-hmm. you know so in, in 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 my book i made the congressman the mentor uh-huh. and then the staffer was the mentee and then right. so they so that he's so the the, the co- it's a congressman even though it sort of seems strange to the congressman <laughs> any congress would have any wisdom to share these days. <laughs> <It's strange. laughs> but, um, that's how we know it's fiction. Now. That's how we know. <laughs> True, true. <laughs> but uh, but there are actually you know yeah many many great legislators that unfortunately they get kind of get lost in all the noise. Um, yeah, absolutely, uh, and then that's true. Um, but uh, so that really that that's the basis and the 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 um, uh, the. The, the staff person is, um, is sent on a journey, you know, mm-hmm. uh, with the assistance of this of this mentor, where he's he goes off and he he interviews six different individuals who uh-huh. represent what 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 I'm calling uh, endowments. Ah, so okay you now i i kind of in earlier i kind of i gave away the I, I was it was a bit of a spoiler to, to say where i was at and that in that epiphany i had right. uh, way back when that that's something that comes like at the end you know that's ah. sort of what the the guy gets at the end of his journey right um uh, uh but still you know I encourage everyone to read the book of course <laughs> of course but uh the um but you know in sort of unpacking this idea you know we're we're meant to do this you know we're meant to do this from the beginning you know i i i i realize well what you know what's the proof that we we've been meant to do this from the beginning and you know you start examining who who we are you know what are what 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 characteristics that that make up the human uh, psychology or or motivations right. and i came up with six uh what i called endowments so okay. and i mentioned a couple of them before we're explorers uh-huh. we're settlers uh-huh. we're uh inventors right mm-hmm. so, we so we're problem solvers right right uh we're uh we're visionaries right. so we could sort of see things in our mind's eye and we can envision right. cities and cathedrals and Pyramid, right? Um, and then we are also um, where uh, 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 we're we're uh, uh, we're we're protect. I'm am actually blanking on one of them, but uh, we're <laughs> come protect- on, this is your novel, protect- Steve. I know we're just think of the characters, <laughs> right? Right. We're uh, we're protectors, meaning uh-huh. that we have um, we have a desire to. We have a desire to protect ourselves and this gets into the context of um you know surviving Mm -hmm. if we want to survive our planet we want to diversify the population so that some some of the folks are are away so um and then we um so those are the the uh so those are sort of the 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 the, these endowments that propel us that make up who we are and also point not only point to or have allowed us to survive and thrive over these many, many thousands of years. Mm-hmm. But they have all conspired to um, uh, uh, to uh, move us in an iterative process over those years. to become more and more complex mm-hmm. and become and to be able to you know, manipulate our environment to a greater and greater degree, leading ultimately to where we have this, where we finally develop this capacity to to build rockets that could take us to other worlds and, right. and uh, lo and behold that's exactly what we as soon as we have that capability we're doing that you right know? so right. and right. we it, to a certain extent it's unconscious so we're not really we're not thinking that we're doing this because this is something that was written in our dna five right. thousand years ago right. Right. we're doing right. it or even depending upon how you want to look at it it could be even you know, go go all the way back to the beginning of universe if, if potentially right. where this is sort of something that on an evolving planet eventually that evolving planet will reach a point where it needs to uh where a, a and i call it an agent species needs to arise from that living world to uh manipulate it its uh its resources in order to create what you might call seed pods right The spaceship mm-hmm. is a seed pod it's carrying mm-hmm. the seeds of life to other planets okay. so um and uh so that's uh so he goes so our back to the book our character goes on this journey and each one of these uh each one of these endowments is represented by uh by an individual so mm-hmm. the the interest to explore is uh an apollo astronaut uh you know so um uh, the visionary is represented by a uh, by a science fiction author that creates ah. these visionary worlds. So, um, you know, the protector is someone mm. who uh, is uh, concerned about near Earth objects and asteroids, mm. the potential for asteroids impacting Earth. So yeah. that's where the that's how the story goes. So, so,
1: would you say the story is more about I don't say science or or philosophy, or is it more of a spiritual journey?
2: Well, you know, it's really both. I think that the okay. I, I I actually think that the 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 the, the concepts and the whole thesis uh, of the of the book is a philosophy that can that could uh, withstand some scientific rigor in, okay. in terms of consideration. You okay. know that uh, it does not. It is uh, the the. On the other hand, the character does have periods of. Uh, of visions that that occur during his meditation periods mm. certain periods of meditation, okay. so there is sort of an ethereal component to it where he he sort of uh he sees himself in orbit or he sees he sees himself propelled into the center of the galaxy and uh. and all this and sort of um so there there's that but then the the um and of course there's a story, but the heart of the philosophy itself is you know you could you know. And this gets to the whole notion and, and, and causes the question the um, uh, uh, Darwinian uh, evolution right okay. so in Darwinian evolution, everything is um, happens by chance right so there's a right. chance right, right, thing, right. and so natural selection takes place and and the fact that we have a frontal lobe that 's able to do all this complex uh, abstract thinking was sort of a serendipitous occurrence in nature at some point that, you know, that just uh, uh, allowed us to do the things that we do. Mm -hmm. And we Mm -hmm. we sort of accept the scientific community largely accepts that as just an accident in in nature that we were able to exploit. And I my feeling is, is that, well, maybe maybe some of these developments that we've that we've seen or or capabilities that we have is it possible that that it wasn't just sheer luck i mean is it possible that there was something else going on i mean the whole notion of uh of a dna code in the human body was uh, you know that that concept just a couple of hundred years ago was just impossible to conceive
1: right you know i mean
2: is it is it possible to conceive that um you know maybe the universe has uh a DNA code that's guiding right. yeah. it's in it's some way. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to jump too far and you know, make too much of a connection, but you know, is there some way that the, and I'm not talking about creationism or anything like that, but, mm-hmm. um, but is it possible that uh, there's something, something guiding our, our, evo- guiding the evolutionary process. So, right. and that's really what, um, you know, that, that's one thing that I, that I explore in the book that, all of this everything that we see is uh is like a a seed that takes root and grows look no two trees are the same no two people are the same mm-hmm. you know but the and probably no two universes are the same but mm-hmm. perhaps you know each universe uh, is guided by a certain set of principles um beyond just say gravity so right you know, so right so cosmologists like to say that um We'll say that, you know, everything is governed by by gravitational forces, and mm-hmm. therefore, um, that's how, how uh, you know, the all the, the planets and galaxies sort of, and, and, and star systems sort of fell into place, but, um, you know, maybe there's something else.
1: More of a design to it. And, and it's kind of interesting also over the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years, as we you know, become, uh, look closer and closer into the universe and what makes it up, um, and, and quantum physicists actually end up turning very spiritual, and that some of the things that mystics have said for centuries is starting to be borne out by the scientific research into what makes us up, and and indeed, you know, is one thing I teach when I do my spoon bending workshop here, which by the way, <laughs> I do have one coming up um, it, it, that there's actually more empty space than there is actual particles or matter. And even if you look at the matter, it's really not matter the way we think of it as a hard substance. It's more fields of energy. So even on the most fundamental level, we're really not hard, solid things. We're fields of energy.
2: Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I, you know, I'm no cosmologist, so I, you know, I don't, I, I, so I, I, I move into these ideas uh carefully, but the the notion of that um that ninety six percent of all the mass and energy in the universe is 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 not perceptible it's right, sort, of right. <laughs> sort of an interesting interesting idea well maybe rather than that all that matter and energy being dis, uh, invisible you know maybe there are other forces that are at work holding the universe together the way it's being held together right. that we just don't quite understand yet not that it's not scientific but that we just aren't quite there in understanding yeah
1: absolutely (laughs) and 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 just because it's not perceptible or visible doesn't mean it's not there Mm -hmm. you know people have a hard time with just even the concept some people have a hard time with the concept of the human body having a spirit something uh, ethereal associated with it yet You know, again, if 96 percent of the universe is imperceptible, why is it so unbelievable that a physical body could have an energetic side to it or an energetic component? Mm -hmm. And that um, we can um, have more uh, that there that there can be more going on than we perceive, because Mm -hmm. throughout The the evolution, uh, right? There was always a level of understanding, and then when our level of understanding grew, uh, we were able to perceive or see more. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, no, exactly. (laughs) To um, I I I do want to get back to the book a little bit, you know. Or okay, let's do that.
1: Yeah, let's take a break first, and then we'll get back to the book. And then I also want to ask you a question besides the book of why should the average person care about these concepts? Why should you know the average office worker, the average Joe Schmo? Why should they care about space? So we'll talk about that in the book and more with my guest Steve Wolf mm-hmm.
0: when we return. You are listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you into comics, movies, and pop culture at large? What about music and storytelling? Then you're in for a treat. This is Michael Dolce, your brand new radio host on talkradio.nyc. I've been professionally writing and drawing comic books, screenplays, and music articles for over 15 years. Catch my new show, Secrets of the Sire, Fridays at 11 a.m. and get the inside scoop on the pop culture universe you love to talk about. For more info, go to secretsofthesire.com right now. talkingalternative.com
1: Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour Awakening Humanity. Um, a quick shout out to all of our Facebook live stream peeps. I've noticed the Facebook stream isn't always consistent, but it looks pretty good. Welcome, Steve, Brigitte, Uzi, and Anthony. Thank you all for um, tuning in on the Facebook live stream. And, you know, don't forget, you guys, on the Facebook live stream, uh, while you're watching the video, if, uh, while we're live, uh, you know, we only got a few minutes left. If you want to ask a question, you can always type it in there. I'll see it and ask Steve. So, Steve, getting back to the book, you wanted to talk a little bit more about the application.
2: Well, right, and uh, and you also had a, a question. We'll get to at, that at afterwards. The, oh, okay. No, no, no. I, I, <laughs> this actually gets back to the beginning of the uh, uh, of the of the uh, talk, uh-huh. uh, where you were, you know, asking me about, you know, uh, how do you respond to folks who say that we that um, you okay. know, there's so many problems here on Earth. Right, right. Okay. So then we will well, get to the question, the, which is,
1: why should just the average person care about space exploration? Why should the average office worker in Manhattan, where there's pretty much mm-hmm. no space industry here it's not like we're in florida or texas or right. california where at least there's some industry there's no industry here why should anyone here care about it
2: right and i and i, and I think that well the answer to that question you know uh is um I, I think that there are a lot of reasons why anybody who really looked into this matter should should care about it mm-hmm. um but i think we're moving you know and i don't want to be too much uh, too too confident here but i think we're moving to a point where um you know we it only requires a certain percentage of people who really care about it Mm. for us to move forward and and eventually everyone else who doesn't quite understand why we're doing that will kind of kind of get it Uh, And I think that has a lot to do with guys like um, like Elon Musk, who's already committed to getting to Mars and establishing colonies. I mean, there's other groups like Mars One, which is also trying to raise money and and help people help people get to Mars. So there are these private activities, private efforts already going on. So it's less and less going... These activities and expansion into space is going to become less and less dependent upon um, government involvement and, therefore, less and less dependent on on taxpayer money.
1: Right, right. I mean, in the past, because it was such a large endeavor and it took so much money to develop the the technology to do it, you really needed government centers to do a lot of research and development mm -hmm. to do it. But now, as various technologies have developed for everything from electronics to computers to uh, life mm-hmm. systems and, and you know uh, materials technologies now that they've, the the pricing has come down now it's actually within reach of a private venture to be able to afford to do something as fantastic as creating a, a colony on Mars exactly and it's not and it's not the government not going to be involved i mean
2: right. you know we we have to remember we're NASA's spending almost twenty billion dollars a year. Mm-hmm. You know that's a that's a bit of money. Now it's only about yeah. half of one percent of our of our um, of of our the federal budget. budget right. However, um, it's it's significant. And but the, of all the federal programs that come under fire, that's the one that. Most people think it's money well spent. Right. So there's there's not a there's not a uh, a you and cry that we've got to cancel the space program. That really
1: just isn't the case. Right. And and you know I've seen studies in the past that said for like every dollar spent on the space program, there was like eleven dollars worth of private industry developed from it. That it's really truly an investment, not an expense. Exactly.
2: You know the maxim is not a not a single dollar of the of the space program is actually spent in space it's all spent it's right. all spent down here <laughs> right <laughs> right exactly so it's all it's driving the engine but it, not more than that it's it's driving technology it's driving innovation it's mm-hmm. driving stem i mean kids I mean still kids are uh, get excited about space about the possibility right, of right, right. and are, it, it keeps them interested in, en- in getting an interested in energy what, what and about
1: the fact that like now in the media we've seen so many movies being created about space exploration about the idea I mean everything from gravity to interstellar to uh, the Martian uh, I mean and, and not to mention the myriad of science fiction um, shows like now that again they rebooted Star Trek and and there's a new Star Trek movie coming out the end of this year I mean isn't it becoming sort of more uh uh, almost like in the daily consciousness in a way like people just expect it
2: Right, I mean, great science fiction shows. I mean, we're definitely in a renaissance, you know, in terms of the media, film, and television. Right. With with all that, and, which is really exciting, because you know, basically, because you know, Hollywood, they're only going to produce what they think is going to help make them money. Right. And these movies are making making them a lot, a of, lot money. of money. To the point where um, I had a scriptwriter took my book and converted it to a script and is oh, really? now trying to. Uh, yes, we're we're awesome. talking. We're talking about making it a six-part series. So we're, that, that's oh, cool. an exciting All right. development. You, you let us
1: know when that happens. We <laughs> got to have a premiere here when when that happens, Steve. You got to promise me. Right. I want the exclusive. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So, cool yeah so
2: yeah no that's Uh. so yeah the, I mean the Martian you know right the, these movies are just capturing the imagination so they're really the mood is just incredible right now and mm. so Whereas maybe ten years ago, you know, if you would ask me you know, how close were we to human settlement to space, and it was like, you know, I don't know, fifty. Yeah, you know, it's 100 especially years
1: Especially after the uh, Columbia blew up, our second losing a second space shuttle. Right. You know that that was back when I had my business Astro Expo mm-hmm. in, in the space industry, and after Columbia blew up, I mean, trying to work, you know, creating a virtual space trade show for commercial space, and mm-hmm. when the Columbia blew up, I mean, that was it. I mean, the industry was depressed for a while and I had Mm -hmm. to finally shut down the business it was a little bit ahead of my time which is typically what happens to me um so, yeah,
2: no, you're right. And that's what's happening. There's like yeah. so much it, it, in, in the wake of that, maybe, yeah. maybe largely in the wake of that, we realize that, well, the shuttle program can't go on forever. Right. I mean, the and there is no shuttle program now. There's, right. And, and a lot of this activity is really driven by the, there's no shuttle. OK, how do we get up to the space station? OK. And then we created this program that that uh, called Commercial Crew. Right. Instead of NASA buying rockets and sending them up on their own to, to replenish the space station, they said, well, why don't we just... See if we can contract with a, with a company who'll, who'll deliver the stuff for us can we right. get, find a good c- trucking company right. and that's what uh, <laughs> right and that's what orbital atk and and, and spacex did right. Right. and right. so elon so the government saved a huge amount of money on spacex because they didn't have to develop that rocket right elon Musk Must did he, he spent all the money to develop that rocket and all they're doing is paying for the for the ride for so the ride. Yeah. it's a great deal for the government and hopefully they'll just continue to, to replicate that model right. for for uh, the rest of their activity so,
1: so so, quickly, I mean, uh, looking at things from just an industry perspective, I mean, now you're, you're deputy executive director of SpaceCom, which is, I don't know, the largest space commercial space
2: it is, conference? It is the premier commercial space conference. So there are other conferences that are bigger and they're focused on military. This is focused just on that, and and that commercial. commercial sector. So,
1: so from that and perspective, really, like, it, what are you seeing happening in the industry?
2: Right. So um, it's really all about what's going on in low Earth orbit. So it's called uh, the LEO Leo, Leo uh-huh. economy is, is sort of a term that's being coined. Um, the excitement is around the new uh, small sats and microsats or mm-hmm. cube sats where right. they are. It, it used to be that you'd, you'd build this giant, you know, multi-ton satellite and you put it up there and you pray that the whole thing worked. Now right. you can you put up. Uh, thousands of small satellites and if if some of them fall in or don't work, you don't worry about it because you're gonna right. you're gonna be replacing those satellites on a regular right. so basis. So there's
1: plenty of redundancy in the system. Right.
2: So they compare it to like a cell phone. I mean this one mm. particular company, Planet Labs, is sort of leading the way there. Um, and they 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 look at it like a cell phone. So you know every every year, every two years they're upgrading their cell phones. And so yeah. with these satellites they're putting up their they don't expect them to last for decades they right. only last them to, expect them to last for a couple of years and they they're, they're going to uh, be replaced so okay. that's where they're getting smaller and smaller easy to replace it gets to be that um, you know a single company could buy its own fleet of 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 satellites communication satellites, or whatever sensor satellites you know now so. the
1: reason why we used to do like one big satellite and it'd have to last for years is because the expense of launching it into orbit was so great. Has the cost for going up into orbit dropped that dramatically that it's really become affordable now
2: well well part of it is part of it is the launch uh and, and how much the cost for the launch, the other part is the instrumentations on right. the satellites themselves, right. the, the instrumentation and the electronics and and the software, particularly the software has, yeah. has made it, it you able to, sh- to shrink it so it 's a combination of uh, shrinking the size of the satellites and the cost of getting into orbit coming down so right. you see uh, you know Elon Musk SpaceX is really driving down the cost of that. The rest of the industry, even the legacy Boeing and Lockheed, Mm. they've got to respond in kind to reduce their cost. Uh, Ariana Space, which is another one, they're all, you know. So it's you have these disruptors, right? right. So you know that term. So these industry
1: disruptors are coming in. Uh, Steve, unfortunately, I'm going to have to cut you off because really, it's at the end of the show. Okay, I'm sorry. If people are interested in the obligation, where can they find it?
2: Right. So it's theobligationbook.com, theobligationbook.com, or just Google Steve Wolf, the obligation, and they can find it. Okay, and okay. Uh, yeah, I definitely encourage you to read it. We'd love it, uh, feedback on that if we could. could Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Wonderful. And if people want to learn about Spacecom, the conference?
2: SpacecomExpo.com. So it's spacecomExpo.com. Spacecom Expo beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah.
1: Steve, thank you so much for coming in the studio today and hanging out with me. It's great to reconnect with my old space buddy. Right. Great. Same here, Sam. Thanks. All right. Great. And thank you all on my. Uh, Uh, Facebook live stream. Um, I appreciate you guys coming in the next couple of weeks. Actually, I think most of my guests are going to be in studio, so I'll continue doing the live stream. Um, Everybody, please stay tuned. Coming up next. Uh, our newest show, Frank About Health with Frank Harrison, uh, continues his show all about uh, the healthcare industry and the challenges that face people um, with extreme medical challenges, but how you can still thrive. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next week.
0: You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you into comics, movies, and pop culture at large? What about music and storytelling? Then you're in for a treat. This is Michael Dolce, your brand new radio host on talkradio.nyc. I've been professionally writing and drawing comic books, screenplays, and music articles for over 15 years. Catch my new show, Secrets of the Sire, Fridays at 11 a.m., and get the inside scoop on the pop culture universe you love to talk about. For more info, go to secretsofthesire.com right now. Hey, all you crazy
2: listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. Talking
1: Alternative.
0: Hello, I'm JC. I'm Joan. And And welcome welcome to to 21st Century Century Entrepreneur. We bring education, insight, knowledge, awareness, trouble, craziness, and fun for you, the entrepreneur who's looking to build your business. And your community. Listen every Friday from noon to 1 Eastern on talkradio.nyc. And you can tweet us at 21stCE Radio or Talk Alternative.
2: You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day.
0: You're listening to The Talking Alternative Network.
1: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early,